Genesis chapter 27. We are uh, going through the book of Genesis still, going through the life here of, well, we did the life of Abraham, and then we sort of skipped over the life of Isaac as being kind of included in the life of Abraham, and then his son, Jacob. Now, I'm going to give you a trick, and you're gonna, this is going to help you remember it. There are four Hebrew patriarchs, four fathers of the Hebrew nation, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And here's how you're going to remember the order. They are in alphabetical order. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Even better, later on, Jacob is going to have his name changed to Israel. And they are still in alphabetical order. Abraham, Isaac, Israel, Joseph. So you can remember which one got his name changed because it's the one that doesn't mess up the alphabetical order. And you can remember the order they're in because it's in alphabetical order. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Don't ask me if it's in alphabetical order in Hebrew. You're going to mess my whole point up. But it makes it easy for us to memorize it. So we have seen the life of Abraham. Abraham, this mighty man of faith who took his son Isaac and was willing to give him back to God, trusting God would give him back again. And then we've seen the life of Jacob last week was not quite so very endearing to us. Uh, Jacob, you remember, got his brother to sell him his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. Now, I don't know if you've ever had lentil soup, but there is very little that I would give for a bowl of lentil soup. But he gave up his birthright. Esau, so carnal, so caught up in what he could see and touch and feel, said, I want it and I want it now, and I don't care about consequences. And last week we got to talk about how as Christians we often do exactly the same thing. We trade what lasts forever for what we think we want right now. We sell our birthright. Now, today, we're going to get to look a little bit more into the character of Jacob. And the title of the message, I called it the character of character. What does character look like? And unfortunately, in Genesis chapter 27, there are no heroes. There are four characters in Genesis 27. Isaac, his wife Rebecca, and their two children, Jacob and Esau. And none of them are people that I can say, hey, I hope you live like this. And that's really sad. On one hand. On the other hand, I hope that you find it just a little bit encouraging. Because these are the great, 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 great grandparents of Jesus. And if God is willing to use people like this to accomplish his purposes, you are not too far gone for God to use you. God will use everybody. God's got a plan for you, and he wants to use you to accomplish what he wants to be done. It doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done. God's got a plan for you. And so even though Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Esau are all pretty rotten, God's still got a plan. Now, you remember when they were born, Jacob and Esau are twins. Jacob is the younger and is Rebekah's favorite. Esau is the older and is Isaac's favorite. And if you don't think that's going to cause problems in their home, well, then I hope you can sit here with me for the next 35 minutes because I'm going to tell you about some problems it's going to cause. So they come together and God gives this oracle. God says the older will serve the younger says that the one, the, the one who is younger, the one who by rights should be kind of inferior, uh, sort of should submit to the authority of his older brother, will in fact be placed above. Because God doesn't care about when you were born. God doesn't care about your status. God says, I want to show you I'm going to do everything on the basis of faith. Um, and you say, well, 
At this point, we haven't seen Jacob with a whole lot of faith, and you won't. But one of the really remarkable things, you won't see it today, one of the really remarkable things is that when God knows you, God doesn't just know what you've done so far. God knows the end of your story. God knows everything in between. And he looks there for your heart. And so though Jacob has got a long way to go, God already sees him for who he will be. You've got that little expression where people say, um, I'm not what I ought to be, but I thank God I'm not what I was. You know, I'm, I'm not what I'm going to be. I think, well, something like that. I thank God that I'm not what I ought to be, and I'm not what I'm going to be, but I thank God I'm not what I was. God's got you moving towards something, and he knows where you're going. And so when we see Jacob, and today you just want to smack him, you still know that God sees the end of the story. And there are some times where somebody looks at you and they think, boy, I want to smack them. <laughs> but God knows the end of your story. God knows what he's going to do with you. And if you have faith in him, he knows how he's going to pull you through. So what do we see this morning in Genesis chapter 27, verse 1? And it came to pass that when Isaac was old and that his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his eldest son and said unto him, my son. And he said unto him, Behold, here I am. We have this picture now of Isaac as a helpless old man. He can't see. He's blind. And so he calls his oldest son to him. Now, what was a very common thing and what we saw Abraham did, what we're going to see Jacob do, is that when the father of a Hebrew family gets ready to die, uh, he calls together his descendants to lay out the succession plan. He says, okay, this is your inheritance, this is your inheritance, this is your inheritance. This is how we're going to divide it up and uh, on his deathbed. Now, Isaac actually lived years past this, but he doesn't know that at this point. That's, a, that's another true thing you need to know is you don't know when you're out of gas. There's some people that think they've got a long, long time to live and then it's cut suddenly short. And there are some people who think, well, you know, I don't have much longer. I might as well just do what I want. And then they find out for 20 years they're dealing with the consequences of the bad decisions they made. So, but Isaac here, instead of calling both of his sons to him to do things on the up and up and say, okay, this is your property and this is your property, says, just Esau. Now, the first thing I want to tell you about the character of character is that character ought to finish well. That old age can cause one of two things. When Abraham was at the end of his life, the culmination of all the character from his whole life came. And he, the last thing he wanted to do was make sure that his son had a good wife so he could carry on the promise that God had made. He was dealing in faith to the very last. Isaac says, well, I know that God said the elder will serve the younger, but I've got a plan. I'm just going to sort of cut the younger out and I'm going to deal with the older directly. So Esau, you come here. We'll do the blessing. I'll pass on the family rights. And then Jacob can find out about it later. Esau got more and more, uh, I'm sorry, Isaac got more and more fleshly as he got older. See, when people get older, and this is uh, true, and I, you say, well, you're too young to talk about this. I'm saying it from the Bible, so it's not, I'm not giving my experience. But when people get older, they either get better at seeing, or worse at seeing. And I don't mean glasses. I mean, you either get better at seeing God, God's hand in things, you get better at seeing what's on the other side of the veil, or you get worse at it. There are some people who, when they start to die, and I've you know 
seen people in both attitudes. There's some people who, when they find out their time is short, they start to grab on to everything they can. They say, I'm going to drag myself to slow myself down. I'm not going. You know, that there's the atheist poem, do not go quietly into that good night. Right? They say, I'm going to go down and I'm going to go down screaming. Isaac's like that. And then there's some people who say, when I come to the river at ending of day, when the last winds of sorrow have blown, there'll be somebody waiting to show me the way. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. So there's two different ways. You're going to be looking one way or the other. Now, that's true in your whole life. But when you get to the end of your life, it comes into extremes, right? Because you've got to make the decision. Which way am I going to look? Am I going to look down or am I going to look up? Now, Isaac goes to heaven in spite of himself almost. You know, we, we read by faith Isaac in Hebrews 11. But... He's not the man that he ought to be. And how much trouble does it cause for his family? How much trouble does it cause for the people that come after him that he caught his eyes on the wrong thing? You know, as Christians, sometimes we get saved and satisfied. Isn't that right? Say, well, I'm going to heaven and uh, I know that God loves me and I'll just ask for forgiveness if I mess up. You can still hurt a lot of people and have a lot of long-term consequences. So Isaac here says, Esau, come to me on my deathbed. Behold, he says, I am old and know not the day of my death. I don't know when I'm going to die. I don't know how much time I have. Now, therefore, take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field and take me some venison and make me savory meat such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat that my soul may bless thee before I die. Esau said, Isaac says to Esau, I want you to go hunting. I want you to make me a nice meal. And I'm going to eat that and I'm going to bless you. This is going to be our father-son time. And I'm going to bless you before I die. Now, maybe last week when we were studying Esau selling his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup, you were wondering, well, where did he get that from? Well, I'll tell you where he got that from. He got that from his father. <laughs> It is one of the things that when parents play favorites happens, but there's this strong tendency here where Isaac's flaws are reproduced in his sons in caricature. You know, the, you ever, if you ever get really frustrated with your parents or your children, it's usually because you see something in your, of yourself in them. Is that right? You start to recognize yourself. You say, hey, I don't like that. Um, when I was, uh, you know, 13 or 14, my dad used to say the reason my mom and I couldn't be in the same room is because we were the same person. Fireworks. But you've got something like when you see something that reminds you of yourself in somebody, there's trouble. And so Isaac here, though, has gotten so, oh, I can see it, I can touch it, I'm looking at the things I can hold on to. You know, not the unseen heaven, I'm looking at the solid thing. His son learned that. Esau learned that. And so Esau said, oh, I need something to eat. I need something I can have now. If you wonder, you know, the, the, you know, there are people, you can raise your children wonderfully and they can still go astray because they've still got a free will, right? You can raise your children terribly and by the grace of God, God can still pull them through. But there is a connection. You know, what we teach people, they learn. Um, the book of Proverbs has got a verse that's misinterpreted a lot. It says, uh, train a child up in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. People say, okay, well, if you train your kids right when they're little, they'll never go wrong. And actually, um, that word, the, literally in Hebrew, it says, train a child up in his way. 
and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's not the way he ought to go, it's the way he'll go. (laughs) And so we get ruts in our character when we're very young, and those can be good ruts or bad ruts. Uh, I'll give an example, kind of a silly example of a good rut. Get myself into trouble when uh, people say to me, well, you don't have to call me sir. You don't have to call me man. Quit calling me that. Well, I can't. Like, it's not like I think about it and think, okay, I'm going to call you sir. I'm going to call you man now, right? It's a rut. Um, it's a rut that my parents put into me with a belt, right? They said, you better start saying sir and man. Um, but there are some people who develop ruts that are negative ruts. And you say, well, you know, it's not like I taught my kid to do anything bad. I'll give you an example here. Um, I had a friend in elementary school who his parents took us out to CeCe's and then had him go, like, around the back door to sneak in so they wouldn't have to pay for the other sibling. Now, you know, this uh, kid is a a very militant atheist, um, and his parents say, well, we don't know what went wrong. Well, I know what went wrong, you know. And sometimes, you know, say, we, were fa- we took him to church every Christmas and every Easter, and I don't understand how now that's not important to him. I don't understand how now he does what he wants when he wants to get the easy way for him. Well, you made that rut in his character. And the thing about a rut is it never starts out as deep as it's going to be, for good or for bad. Whatever the tracks you start to put in your character are, it always starts out little. But that little gives you a place to get some traction and to dig it deep. And so when you see the things in your character, the good things, the good habits in your character did not start out huge. They started out with little things. The flaws in your character did not start out with fist-shaking rebellion, but it did start out with little things. Um, and, you know, we, we see this all the time. And, of course, here, Esau has got this deep rut in his character that he learned from this deep rut in Isaac's character. Isaac says, I want something to eat. And so then in verse 5, And Rebekah heard when Isaac spoke to Esau his son. Now, this is not our main point today, but I want to give you a little insight into their marriage that Rebekah is eavesdropping outside of Isaac's tent because she knows he's up to something. Um, I can make a couple points here. One, your wife knows when you're up to something. Um, Two, they're not talking to each other anymore. They've become warring parties. And they are, uh, they're, both, they're both so caught up in their favoritism that they've made themselves enemies over their children. And that happens a lot. That's very true to life. So, uh, Rebekah heard when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. Now, Rebekah spoke unto Jacob, her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau, thy brother, saying, Bring me venison and make me savory meat that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord, before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. So Rebecca calls Jacob and says, Jacob, I overheard your husband. I heard your father talking. And I need you to listen to me. I've got some commands for you. Now, one thing I also want to point out is that there in verse six, she does not say, I heard my husband speak to your son. It says, I heard your father speaking to your brother. She has distanced herself from it. You know, and um, I notice we, we talk, you know, there's some, 
silly examples of this. There's some serious examples of this. One of the less serious examples is that uh, when I come into the house and see Colleen and say, I think that's my shirt. <laughs> and she says, well, that's our shirt. I notice when she wants to wear it, it's our shirt. And I notice when it's on the floor, suddenly it's my shirt. Why don't you pick up your shirt? So I don't, you know, we attach things to ourselves based on how much we want to have. Right? The, uh, you know, you've got the example of when they're misbehaving, they're your child. When they're behaving right, they're our child, right? Or even my child. So he comes here. Uh, Isaac comes to her. Uh, I'm sorry. Jacob comes to her. And Rebecca says, I heard your father speak to your brother. Because he's going to bless him before he dies. He says, so listen up, my son. My son. <laughs> Esau is Jacob's son. Yeah, sorry. I can't have a mess today. Esau is Isaac's son. Jacob is Rebekah's son. And that deep division. So, he says, listen up. Go now to the flock and fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats. And I will make them savory meat for thy father, such as he loveth. And thou shalt bring it to thy father, that he may eat, and that he may bless thee before his death. So Rebecca says, I've got a plan. And of course, in Rebecca's mind, of course, there is the, the promise that God had already made. And she says, you know what? Here's another thing character does not say. So the first thing is that... Uh, Character finishes well. The second thing is that character knows the ends do not justify the means. And she says, I'm a better cook than Esau is. You go get two goats, and I'm going to cook these goats to taste like venison. And then you take it into your blind father, and he will bless you instead of your brother. They're twins, right? So they've got similar voices. They've got similar... But he says, she says, let's just trick him. Now, that tells you a lot about Rebecca too. Rebecca, if you read the story of Isaac that we kind of skipped over for the sake of time, uh, in between the death of Abraham and, well, really, the, the end of the life of Abraham and the birth of the twins, Rebecca was one who left her family and everybody to chase after and marry this husband. She was the one who said, I'm going to follow God wherever he takes me. She was one who had the potential to be almost a second Abraham. I'm going to leave everything to go to the promised land. But then at the end of her life, she becomes conniving and manipulative and says, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get what I deserve. Now, there are a lot of people who have that kind of attitude, too. If it works, do it. So the, uh, she thinks the ends justify the means. So she says, you go, you get these goats, and I can cook these goats before your brother gets back from hunting. And we're going to fool your father. It's kind of interesting that in the Old Testament there were two laws that the Israelites had in two different places against fooling a blind person. Um, because, you know, there's the most vulnerable people in society. It says if you try to trick a blind person, you take advantage of them, then you were subject to criminal punishment in ancient Israel. But here he is fooling his blind father at the insistence of his mother. Well, what happens? Well, maybe here, Jacob, the hero, Jacob, Jesus' great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather is going to stand up and say, No, Mom, that's wrong! And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. 
My father, peradventure, will feel me, and I shall see to him as a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. Hmm. Well, that's not quite the brilliant moral response we were hoping for. He says, well, mom, that's just not going to work. Because we're going to need a way to make this work. Because Esau's hairy. And I'm clean shaven. I'm smooth. Dad's going to feel me. He's going to think that I'm some kind of trickster. I wonder why. He's going to think I'm some kind of trickster. And he's going to curse me instead of blessing me. He's going he's to cut me out of the will. So we see our three main characters here. Uh, it, it, Isaac is so fleshly. He's so caught up in the tangible and the here and now that he won't finish well. Rebecca thinks the ends justify the means. And Jacob doesn't ask, is it right? He asks, will it work? Three things about the character of character. Character finishes well. Character knows the ends don't justify the means. And character asks, is it right? Before will it work? So she comes in and uh, he says, you know, he's going to, Feel me, it's not going to work, Mom. It's not going to work. Let's just throw the whole thing off. And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice and go fetch me them. He says, no, 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 no. If anything goes wrong, I'll take the blame. I'll take the curse. You just listen to me. I've got a plan. Now, we already know that Jacob's a mama's boy. And this is she, he's going to go along with it. And we could talk there about lots of things about how when you're betrayed by the people you feel like you ought to be able to trust the most. We talked about this just a couple weeks ago when we were talking about our unbruised beauty ministry. Here, he's led astray by his own mother. <laughs> now, he's a grown man. It's his own responsibility. But it's just this, this family is so dysfunctional. You know, sometimes people say um, that they believe in biblical marriage. <laughs> I hope you don't. I <laughs> hope you don't have a biblical marriage. I hope we've got a New Testament marriage, a picture of Jesus and the church. I hope you don't have the kind of marriages we read about in the Old Testament. You know, they're a mess. But God used this dysfunctional family to save the world. I want to point out something here. I wish we had more time. She says, Upon me be thy curse. She can't take his curse for his sin. But. Her great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson will. Galatians 3 says, he became a curse for us. And if you read Galatians 3, I think Galatians 3 is deliberately echoing this story. Jesus, she's talking about an exchange. She's saying, look, son, if anything goes wrong, I'll be cursed so you can be blessed. You know, that's the same thing Jesus said to you when he died on the cross. He said, I'll be cursed so you can be blessed. She said, through deception, I'm going to take your curse. And Jesus said, through righteousness, through perfect obedience to the law, through doing everything right, I'm going to take your curse so that you can be blessed. You read Galatians 3. That's the passage you want to read to understand this. So he says, that's just a sidebar, that's free, that Jesus was the one who would take the curse. And Rebecca can't. Nobody else can take your punishment for you, but Jesus, the perfect God, did. So watch what we see. He said in verse 14, And he went and fetched and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory meat, such as his father loved. And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her oldest son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. 
And she put the skins of the kids of the goats upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. And she gave the savory meat and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. Now, Rebecca is pretty smart. Rebecca says, yes, your dad's blind. But I'm going to take this meat and I'm going to cook it to taste like venison. She says, your father can still smell, but I'm going to put Esau's clothes on you. So we're going to fool his taste. We're going to fool his sense of smell. Then you said you're a hairy man and he's a hairy man and you're a smooth man. Well, he's an old man. So what we're going to do is we're going to take the skin of this goat we're going to kill and we're going to put straps of it here and here and here. So if your father comes to hug you and feels the back of your neck or if he takes your hand, he'll feel the hair there. And in his blindness and everything, it'll be just enough to give you the benefit of the doubt. We're going to fool. He doesn't have sight. We're going to fool his taste, his touch, and his smell. I told you Isaac is so fleshly. He only goes based on his five senses. He thinks he's going to get around it. So here's what we got. She, when she had prepared the hand of her son Jacob. Now, the, so he goes in there with the food. And we have in verse 18, And he came unto his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I. Who art thou, my son? So Isaac is so blind that he can't tell who it is. And so he says, Which son are you? And Jacob said unto his father, I am Esau, thy firstborn. I have done according as thou badest me. Arise, I pray thee. Sit thee and eat of my venison, that thy soul may bless me. See, Jacob here starts giving this speech, you know, and I, I think it was, oh, I can't remember who said it, but it's, oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Now, here's the problem. Sin never stops. I think I've used this point before, but I think it's a good one. If you've got a rip in a piece of fabric, it's not going to stop tearing. You say, well, it's just a little bitty rip. Well, it's going to keep on going. He starts out with this deception, and then the amount he has to deceive keeps going more and more and more. It's something you know. When somebody starts to lie, they just can't stop talking. Now, I told you they were twins, so their voices are similar, but their voices are not the same. So he's already setting himself up to get caught. And that's what you do. The more you talk, the more you get yourself up to get caught. So he says, Lord, I, he says, Jacob, I, Jacob says, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done what you told me to do. Get up, sit and eat of my venison. He says, sit up and eat so your soul may bless me. And Isaac said unto his son, how is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord thy God brought it to me. Oh. He just said, you know, once you start, you know, yeah, you wait. You wait for the lightning to come down and strike him. Once you start being deceptive, once you start being a liar, it just goes. Now, one thing I'll have you notice about Jacob as you read through his saga is it will be quite a while before he ever gets around to saying, my God, it's the Lord, your God. (laughs) He doesn't have a personal relationship with God at all at this point. It's his father's God. And I tell you, God has no grandchildren. It doesn't matter how holy your parents were. It's about what you and God have. 
And so he says, the Lord, your God, brought it to me. And you say, oh, well, you know, this is how you can tell these things in the Bible didn't really happen. Nobody would ever do that. Have you ever dealt with somebody who uh, really got deep into a lie? And you've talked to somebody before, I have personally, who swore on their children and on God and everything else. Because once you cross a line, it gets slippery. You know, and of course, God had nothing to do with this deception. It's just like when you see somebody leave their wife or, and go uh, marry somebody else, for the, go leave their wife for their mistress, marry their mistress, and then go around saying how glad they are God blessed them with this new woman. Leave God out of that. God didn't have anything to do with that. That's blasphemy. This is blasphemy. He says, he says the Lord my God, your God, brought it to me. He's just a, we find out the kind of man Jacob is. He has no faith at this point. So we go on, and we read in verse 21. And Isaac said unto Jacob, he's kind of suspicious, Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. So he's suspicious. He says, Come up here and let me feel you. And Jacob went near unto Isaac his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not, because his hands were hairy. He couldn't tell, because his hands were hairy, as his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. So he was ready to bless him. And he said, Art thou my very son Esau? And he said, I am. And he said, Bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's venison, that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him, and he did eat, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Now watch this. Isaac knows something is wrong, but he's also hungry. Have you ever, because of some impulse you had in the moment, overlooked your better judgment? And then Jacob, very clever, you know, Isaac just asked for meat, but Jacob says this is going to go over a lot better with a little alcohol. <laughs> he decides he's going to open up the, he's going to lubricate the situation a little bit with a glass of wine. And so now Isaac a slave to his appetites, comes and he eats and he drinks. And this is the thing. Once you cross that line where, you know, God's sending up alarm bells in your mind, you're saying, something's not right here. Say, but I really want to do this. Once you cross that line, I told you, it gets slippery. And you lose control of it. So, he comes and he eats and he drinks. And his father Isaac said unto him, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which the Lord hath blessed. He says, Oh, you smell like Esau. So I'm going to overlook what you sound like. I told you. He relies on his five senses taste, touch, smell, hearing, sight, more than anything else. And so he's ready to bless him. Now, one more thing I want to point out. And I. It's, a, it's another freebie. Isaac's great, 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 great grandson, Jesus, would also be betrayed with a kiss. He comes up and he betrays his father with a kiss. You think God didn't know how this whole story was going to end from the very beginning? <laughs> and so he comes in and he betrays him. So he blesses him. And he says, 
Therefore, verse 28, here, here's the blessing. God, give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee and blessed be he that blesseth thee. He passes on the blessing of Abraham to his son. He passes it on to his younger son. Now, something very, very important to know. This was not how God wanted it to happen. But because of the sin in all these people, God let it happen this way. God does not endorse your sin because it works out. The ends do not justify the means. But that does not mean that God will not use it. You know, if you, if you want to put yourself into a bad situation, God will teach you a lesson through that bad situation. If you want to lie and fool your father and you want to be fleshly, Isaac is the one here who was the leader. He was supposed to trust God, and God said the elder will serve the younger. But because he wanted to be sneaky, God used his deception to cause him to be deceived. And once you put yourself in that kind of a position, you are very vulnerable. If he had brought both of the sons to him like he had intended to, humanly speak, like he ought to have, humanly speaking, if he brought Isaac and Esau to him both, uh, Jacob and Esau, he could have blessed them both right there, and he could have blessed the one he wanted to bless. But because he decided to be a deceiver about it, he set himself up for failure. God used his sin to accomplish God's righteousness. Very quickly, very quickly. He said, it came to pass as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob, and Jacob was yet scarce gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. Isaac walks out, Jacob walks out, Esau walks in. And he also had made savory meat, and brought it unto his father, and said unto his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac his father said unto him, Who art thou? I am thy son, thy firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who? Where is he that hath taken venison and brought it me? And I have eaten of all before thou came and have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed. So I've already blessed him, and it's going to happen. He's already received the blessing. It's already done in the eyes of God. It's already legally done. I've passed on the firstborn inheritance to him. Who was that? <coughs> And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry. And said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. Now Esau, we can't let Esau blame us, because you remember, he sold, he stole, he sold his birthright last, you know, several years before this. He sold it, and then he was going to try to get it back by deception. And then he finds out it's too late, he's already lost it, and he cries out and says, Oh, don't you have a blessing for me too? And he says, Thy brother came with subtlety and has taken away thy blessing. He said, Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him thy Lord, and all his brethren have I given to him for servants. And with corn and wine have I sustained him. What shall I do unto thee, my son? Now, here, he's in a real bind. He 
is sabotaged inside. And of course we see there in verse 33 where Isaac trembled very exceedingly. In Hebrew it says he trembled with a very great trembling. Why is Isaac shaking like that? Is he shaking like that because there's no legal way that he could possibly get the inheritance back to his firstborn son? I don't think so. Because there were some different things he could have tried to do. He's trembling like that because he realized, no, God got me. He realized he got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. That what God said was going to happen had happened, and all of his scheming couldn't prevent it. Isaac gives a blessing to Esau that he will ultimately be free of being slave to his brother. But it's a broken blessing. Esau, of course, then says he's going to kill Jacob leaves and goes on the run. I want to tell you something. One last thing. Rebecca, here, never appears in the Bible again. Later on, it tells you when she was buried. But she said, your curse be upon me. And because of what she tried to do for her son, she lost her relationship with her son. Let's tie this all together. A little bow on Isaac could not finish well. He would not finish well. He stumbled at the last moment. He let the fleshly things take away the spiritual things. But Isaac is in heaven today. Not because Isaac was, so to speak, good to the last drop, but because Jesus, hanging on the cross, suffering and bleeding and dying, was. Jesus ever. Rebecca thought that sin could be used to accomplish righteousness. She thought that through deception she could take her son's curse. But Jesus came and through righteousness, righteousness took the curse of us all. Jacob. Jacob shows us a lot of things. But what I want you to see with Jacob is that God can use anybody. If you'll turn to him. Jacob, you would think this kind of affair would disqualify Jacob for life. But nobody is too broken to be repaired by the hand of Almighty God. Nobody is too far gone. Jesus came. Jesus did everything perfectly, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death. Not through deception. He didn't betray with a kiss. He was betrayed with a kiss. And he blessed his church. The Bible says, then as he blessed them, he rose to heaven. What was the blessing? Go ye. Well, you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the earth. He said, you'll be fruitful and multiply through the gospel. So as we stand and we have this invitation, I'm going to ask you, what is the character of your character? Are you modeled after Jesus? Are you one who sees Jesus for who he is and what he's done? Or are you one who, through sin and rebellion, say, no, I'm going to take things into my own hands. I've done my part. I'm not going to finish well. Or I've got the right goals in mind. My heart's in the right place, even if I sin on the way to it. Or are you willing to say, right now, Lord, your way. There are a lot of wrong ways to do the right thing. But there are no right ways to do the wrong thing. As I say. Page number 378.